Well, I, um, I had a chance yesterday to uh, a great opportunity to be able to speak to uh, some people about uh, a friend of mine, uh, Wayne Crocker, Billy Wayne Crocker, who was a, my motorcycle mechanic and good friend. Uh, it's where I spent every Friday morning since 2005, just about, uh, hanging out with him. And uh, he was uh, recently killed in a motorcycle accident about two weeks ago. And I want to share this story because I was thinking this morning as we were singing that familiar, very familiar song for most of us, uh, just just how real the lyric is to me today and why. And hopefully it will also prepare us for what we're about to receive from the Word this morning in First Timothy 6. But I was sharing uh, with, I shared with the church, or the people that were gathered yesterday, but I also shared this personally with uh, Wayne's wife and son uh, prior to to the service uh, when we met and talked. And uh, everybody everybody good this morning? Everybody there? Ready? So this is going to be a great illustration. I want to go ahead and let's get started. If we need a little time, I can act like I'm talking about something else. I can do like an introduction or something. All right, everybody ready? All right, here we go. Y'all good? All right. Oh, man, can't be depressed after my soul is singing, right? Come on. Everybody there? So anyway... I sat there talking to him about uh, just about Wayne's life. And because of the perspective that we have, this perspective of our lives being centered around Jesus and how the Holy Spirit is, is transforming us uh, from the inside out, that, that our, our lives are a reflection of Christ. Um, and that sometimes if you, if you grew up in, in, in uh, religion, and that was your focus and all this activity and performance base was what, what drove you. That sometimes you can't even see Jesus for who he is. And your soul never sings. It really doesn't. Your soul never sings. You might sing the song, but the truth is there's nothing. It doesn't come from your heart. There's, 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 you know, if you're stuck in that, which is, which is exactly what the, the church was stuck in uh, prior to, to, to Christ's coming and. And still, there's, there's, there were leaders in Ephesus and teachers in Ephesus that were trying to keep people stuck in this. Follow the rules. Just follow the rules. It doesn't matter if it comes from your heart or not. And uh, so a lot of people that were stuck in that never got to see Jesus for who he was. And, and this is the key. It's the key for people who, came, who, who are stuck over there. The key is letting them see Jesus for who he is. Their souls will sing. We've all experienced that, man. Our souls sing now. Uh, because we've recognized what Christ has done for us in a very real and personal way. We recognize it. And so, anyway, I'm sharing with, uh, with Wayne, Eugene, and, and Opal uh, about Wayne's life and how uh, we both had surprises. Uh, when I walked in that shop in 2005, um, his surprise was, uh, you know, about a month or two in, uh, to us getting to know each other and hanging out together that he found out I was a preacher. And it surprised him. He said, you don't act like a preacher. I said, thank you. Because I knew what that meant. He meant I didn't act like that. And uh, and then, uh, you know, also and then progressively, I found out the, the depth of his spirituality, how much he, he was affected and his life was demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. And he wasn't a churchgoer. And it all made sense after a little while, a few months of us spending time together. We really connected at that level because, as most of you know, I also quit the church. I didn't quit going, but I quit the church in my heart. 
I gave up on religion and on church because I was afraid that there's no way that I could love Jesus and be in a church. And so, man, we really connected, and I told him, and once he recognized that, I mean, we really connected, and I gave him my first book, Busy and Empty, subtitle, Releasing Religion to Embrace God, because that's what changed my life. God changed my life as a preacher and a doctor preacher. And so, man, when, you know, we really connected over that, and, and, uh, and he understood, you know, and I said, you know, if it, uh, just to make you feel better, I wouldn't be in church either if God hadn't, hadn't created a church. <laughs> You know, my church would be in places like this. I told the, the funeral, uh, the guests yesterday, the people that came, friends and family, I said, I said, you know, we, we had moments with God. We had worship in church in his shop. The only difference was everybody in that service wanted to be there. Right? Wanted to be there. And the music was a little bit different. It was Willie Nelson's Roadhouse. Right, XM radio. So we got to worship the blue eyes crying in the rain. And that was real. But Wayne exemplified Christ in his life. The fruit of the Spirit was evident in his life. And honestly, so much more than was evident in my life. And I was challenged by his lifestyle. Uh, and the way that God God just showed up in his life. And the way he loved people selflessly. And the, and the giving, uh, the the. the Part of his nature was just to give stuff away, just to take care of people to, and to stand up for people who were um, who were downtrodden and beaten down. And, uh, and, and an incredible work ethic, a great, I mean, he worked like it, it rose from a mechanic to vice president of Columbia Gulf uh, Transmission Company. Just incredible work ethic. And so as I was thinking about all that today, I'm just thinking, you know, here we come back to where we started this book. And where we started was the church, for the first time, didn't have to walk in this bondage anymore. The, 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 the scripture says that the law was given to us to bring death, death to our self-effort death to our performance, death to us trying to, to gain something from God. The law was never something that we could ever accomplish. And it accomplishes its purpose when we die to our own efforts and our own performance. That's when it has its, that good result. Can you imagine when they recognized what God's completed plan was in Jesus? I imagine it looks something like this. When they looked at Jesus for the first time and they recognized what Christ did for them, they probably said, "My sin, oh the thought of the, oh, the, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the tree, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. You don't talk about a soul singing, right? When they recognize all of their sins, all of their efforts, all of their failures, everything that." The law pulled out of them to try and help want them to make them want to do well. All of the failures of that was gone. Past, present, and future taken care of. And when they see that, then, then, and only then, sings a soul. How great thou art. And the song is the same, right? God, you are good. Not God, our church is cool. Not God, I'm great. Not God... 
uh, you know, I can't wait to see what else you got from me. It's God, you are awesome. You are trustworthy. You are faithful. You're loving. You're patient. You're merciful and gracious and kind. And you give me what I don't deserve. Everybody get that picture? And then you got religious folk like I did for so long. You got us preachers who think we know stuff and we stand over on this side and we gain knowledge and we we go to seminary and we get all this information and we start grappling and arguing over words and we think we're somebody and we, we get puffed up with conceit. And we start talking like it's all about us and it's all about knowledge. And it's all about doctrine and theology and it's all about uh, my way of thinking or the vein of thinking that I'm following, whoever it was that started that thinking however long ago. And we go historical on people and we tell them, look, here's where we started. Let's follow our traditions. You know, I'm right because so-and-so was right. And, and it's all about people and it's all about doctrines and traditions and it's all about church and church stuff. And we're just as guilty as they were of taking the beauty of the simplicity of the gospel and adding to it all of this religious mess. It's garbage. And it blinds people. Y'all with me? And it keeps their soul from singing. God forbid that we ever become that kind of church. God forbid that you ever become that kind of person. We've got somebody that we represent in this town. And we need to be good representatives of Christ. We need to be good representatives of the truth. So Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, there's problems in the church at Ephesus. And we, we know and we recognize that we have the same problems. And those of you who are biblical studies majors and Christian studies, I thank God that he brought you here. I thank God for that. Because you probably won't hear this. And, and hopefully I've earned the right to say it. But we're going to talk about you today and me. We're going to talk about us today. Because there were people that were so stuck on themselves and so stuck on, on, the, on words and arguments that it caused a disease to begin to fall upon the church at Ephesus that stopped their soul from singing. And we need to see it clearly today and recognize that this is what we're about. And it doesn't matter. And what you have, what you guys have to give to the department at Louisiana College and to the people who are in the same boat that you are, is a tremendous gift. It's a wonderful blessing. I'm so thankful that y'all are here and that you will be able to pass this message on. But don't doubt it. Pass it on. Look, God put you here for a reason. God put me into life and, and, and Dr. Meeks here for a reason. And Jill, people that can speak into the lives of, of students. This truth that we know without any doubt, right? And, the, and, and yet there's a, there are voices crying out in this community, vying for attention, trying to build themselves up. And you'll see it e- easily if you'll open your eyes to it and you'll, you'll, be, you'll find yourself guilty like I did. But then let's also find the solution today in the word. Because this is, this is ultimately the reason why Paul said everything he said to Timothy. He started this book off this way, and we're coming right back to it, that there's false teaching going on. And this false teaching is drawing people's, uh, is keeping people bound in sin and bound in dead religion and bound in the law and bound in performance-based religion instead of seeing and enjoying what they have in Christ.
So I hope that whets your appetite for what we got to say today. I'm going to say it in a fun way too, okay? I hope. So we're going to lighten up. But take it seriously, man. This is a word for us today, okay? We're coming back to why we're going to have elders, why we're going to have deacons, why we're going to live the life, why we're going to stretch with all our might towards towards loving Jesus and knowing him in a way that changes the way we live. Why do we do that? All right. Paul says in verses 3 through 5 of chapter 6. He says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. All right, that, that, you get that? It's pretty clear, isn't it? He says, teach and urge these things, first of all. Paul is saying that before he goes right back into, uh, in his letter, he goes right back into talking about addressing these false teachers. And so let's just remind ourselves that what he's talking about here is the truth about Jesus, what Christ did, what, where real godliness comes from, and what it looks like. And that it doesn't come from, from uh, putting, for trying to act like a Christian. It comes from a heart change and a life change and a focus on Jesus and abiding in Christ. That's where it comes from. So remember the core of what Paul is saying is that we need to teach the pure gospel and the life that results from it, not legalism. Godliness is not acting like a Christian. It is, first of all, the gift of God through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, remember, says, God made him to be sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. Okay, we've been made righteous in Christ. It's a gift of God through Christ. So all these things that Paul's been saying is not something that we have to try and muster up or work up or be good enough Christians to, to, uh, to be able to overcome sin. It's all about what Christ did for us, first of all. But he says, teach and urge these things. Just like he already told us. Remember in 1 Timothy 4, look at this, verses 6 to 8. We've already talked about this. But he said, if you put these things, this truth, this godliness by, uh, by heart change, this Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory, if you put that before people, you'll be a good servant of Christ. Being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of great value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It's a harsh statement about those who not teach this kind of godliness. The kind of godliness that says, quit eating food, sacrifice to idols. It's the kind of godliness that says, Make sure that you are circumcised and all the rules and keep the festivals and the feasts. We've already talked about that, but Timothy, Paul's saying the same thing here, but he says it in a harsh way. Look at what he says in 
verses 3 and 4 of our text today. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, he does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the teaching that accords with godliness, uh, or and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands what? Nothing. Understands nothing. Look, there are folks today, and we will be them if we're not careful, those of us who are studying the Word and ought to be in ministry. We will be them if we don't learn this lesson now. There are so many ministers, and myself included, who spend a lot of their ministry puffing themselves up because they're able to argue over words, the meanings of words. Now, does the meaning, do the meanings of words help us? Sure they can, if our heart's in the right place. But these guys didn't have the right heart. And they would argue and fight over words. And we've been a convention, literally the Southern Baptist Convention has been a convention that wants to fight over words, semantics, where the things that we're arguing about are not the things that we're arguing about. It's really about our pride and us standing in, in, on one side and being able to have our way and everybody looking at us and saying, wow, you guys are so smart. It's never been about loving God and knowing God. Those arguments would never have happened, and yet conven- our convention has been divided, and the Louisiana Baptist Convention has been divided. So I've not been here for 20 years, and when we came, we came to help uh, because we felt like God was calling us to br- help bring peace to the, to the Louisiana Baptist Convention because we were fighting over whether the, the Bible was the inerrant word of God, and everybody believed that it was, but they, they were fighting over words. And then now it's about whether we're reformed or not. It's about what we believe about soteriology. It has divided our convention, and, and, and so our leaders have had to deal with distractions and spend their time worrying about people and, pol- and political, with political agendas who are building themselves up and, and causing the, the name of Christ to be, uh, for people to start, start looking here again instead of looking there, and souls have been going down, and souls have not been singing. And I've been guilty. I don't want to be a part of those fights because they're fights over words and they do nothing but puff us up. <laughs> when I read that this week, I thought the first thing that came to my mind was a puffer fish. You know, a blowfish? You guys, which cartoon is it that has the big? Well, SpongeBob, yeah, but Finding Nemo, Finding Norman, what is that? Is that some perverted version of Finding Nemo? Okay, well, whoever they are. I'm just trying to give you all a chance to relate, but apparently you don't relate well. So anyway, there's a cartoon, and I'll show this picture here in a minute. But I didn't know where it came from, so it's good, now I can give credit. But a puffer fish, here's what the Bible, what the Bible, what the dictionary says about a puffer fish. <laughs> I'm sure it is. This is what we're reading about today, actually. You'll see the connection very quickly. But I thought it was interesting. This first thing came to mind. I thought, yeah, I'm just going to look that sucker up. Puffer fish. What's he about? The blowfish. So here it is. It's a slow and sluggish fish. Here's a picture, by the way. Slow and sluggish fish that has the ability to puff up its elastic skin in, moments, in a moment's notice. That makes some predators fearful. It frustrates others because it makes the fish inedible because he won't fit in their mouths. And then finally, if a large fish eats it, it has a toxin that makes it taste terrible and is fatal to many fish. Puffer fish. You see the difference in size? Little bitty guy? 
Then he got religion. <laughs> Puffed up with conceit. Look, there's some things in nature. If you're not a nature nut like I am, you might not appreciate this. But there's some things in nature that do the best job at interpreting Scripture for you. Look, there's, I'm not going to give you any truth from the puffer fish. But I do believe that God brought that puffer fish to my mind for those three things. I think it's exact, it, it coincides as closely as possible to what it, what, who he's talking about when he talks about false teachers in this passage. Look at it with me. First of all, a puffer fish is a slow and sluggish fish. There's your Finding Nemo guy, right? That's him. And what I mean by slow and sluggish, I mean he doesn't discover truth for himself. These false teachers were, weren't diligent to go and find truth for themselves. They were just accepting the truth that someone else gave them. They're slow and sluggish. These false teachers are teachers who are drawing from uh, the, the, the people that they followed all, their, all of their lives. And, and the well-known men who passed down traditions and ideas and thoughts. And it got to the place where when Jesus came they were probably in the temple, distracted by Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem and the noise that was going on outside. And I'm sure that probably someone from the religious group came out and said, Would y'all please hold it down? We're praying for the Messiah to come. <laughs> right? They had no clue who Jesus was because they started making scripture about themselves. And they started misinterpreting scripture and adding to it all these rules that that made them look good and made others look bad and and it wasn't about the grace of God and faith the faith of Abraham it was about doing the right stuff and they missed Jesus because of it they were too sluggish how did how did they miss that how did they move from the wilderness tabernacle where God's presence came down and everybody was so excited about seeing God and experiencing God it to, to now they, they're just following rules and, and they don't care if God's presence is there or not. I, how do they do that? I guess the same way we did, right? Because we've all done it. We've all become about form. We've all become about function. We've all become about tradition. And we've all lost our passion for the person. And for the same reason, I believe, because we're not diligent to study for ourselves what the word means, to get in the word ourselves and let God speak to us and let God show us truth and reveal truth to us. And every great movement uh, in, in, in history has been started by men and women of God who have been passionate enough about their Savior to go to God for themselves. But if you don't, if you decide that you're just going to hold on to knowledge and argue about words and argue someone else's viewpoint that you didn't go find for yourself, Something that you learned when you were in seminary or in college. Some truth that somebody gave you that sounds really good when it comes out of your mouth. makes you sound as smart as the person that gave it to you. Then all it does is puff you up. These false teachers were that way. They had lots of knowledge. And it was knowledge that everybody respected in the community. And the culture promoted it. And Jesus contradicted it. Because it wasn't truth. And it caused these... Leaders to be puffed up. So I think false teachers are much like the blowfish in that way. Second Timothy 2, by the way, the next letter to Timothy, verses 14 to 15 says this. 
remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. The same thing again, saying the same message. He says, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. How do we rightly handle handle the word of truth? We study. We study to show ourselves approved. We study the word for ourselves. Rightly dividing the word of truth doesn't mean that you choose a doctrinal stance or a theological position that you inherited from somebody else and you stand there like a puffer fish. And when somebody tries to come in and take it away from you, you blow up and scare them off. It's that you you study the word yourself and rightly divide the word. So the opposite of what these false teachers were doing is what Timothy was doing, and he was studying the word, and he was encountering the spirit of the word, speaking in the presence of God, interpreting and bringing meaning and bringing life change in the same way that Jesus being walking with his disciples did for them. A.W. Tozer, In Pursuit of God, which is one of the books we're reading in our spiritual formation class. Um, and it's really, really such an awesome He's such an awesome man of God. This book was written in 1958, I think, or 48. 48. So a long time ago, but it sounds like he's speaking to us today. Listen to it. Here it is. God is so vastly wonderful, so utterly and completely delightful that he can, without anything other than himself, meet and overflow the deepest demands of our total nature. Mysterious and deep as that nature is. Such worship as Frederick Faber, who he talked about in his book, knew, and he is but one of the great company, which no man can number, can never come from a mere doctrinal knowledge of God. Hearts that are fit to break with love for the Godhead are those who have been in the presence and have looked with open eye upon the majesty of deity. Men of the breaking hearts had a quality about them not known to or understood by common men. They habitually spoke with spiritual authority. They had been in the presence of God and they reported what they saw there. They were prophets, not scribes, for the scribe tells us what he has read. But the prophet tells what he has seen. Isn't that good? See the difference. And Paul's saying, look, false teachers are just like that puffer fish. They're slow and sluggish. Second thing about a puffer fish, it blows itself up to make itself impressive to others. And false teachers were full of religious knowledge and they tried to make an impression on people by their understanding of the requirements of the law. Just because a a leader has a deep understanding of the practices of the church and knows how to share it in an impressive way doesn't mean that he understands the gospel by experience. Y'all get that? Just because a leader has a deep understanding of theology and possesses great understanding of doctrines, all the doctrines that we adhere to, the doctrines of the faith, true doctrines, doesn't mean that he understands the gospel by experience. Jesus said this about people who understand, who understood 
the truth of the Old Testament, of the law. He said this in reference to the Pharisees and the scribes, those who wrote but didn't experience the truth of the gospel. John chapter 5, verse 39 to 44. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in the Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? It's interesting that Jesus never took credit for anything that he did. In John chapter 5, in the same passage, Jesus says, I do nothing of my own. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. And because the Father loves me, he shows me what he's doing. There's nothing that you see in my life that's from me. I did a study in the book of John uh, when I wrote The Abiding Cycle uh, of this idea of Jesus just doing what the Father told him. And Jesus took no credit for his teaching. Was Jesus a great teacher? Yes, he was. It's okay to do this. I know if you're listening, you would want to do, uh-huh. But he doesn't take any credit for his great teaching. He says, it's the Father teaching through me. Was Jesus a great healer? Yes, but he takes no, no credit for the healing. He says, as a matter of fact, in this passage in John 5, he says, in response to a healing of a man at the pool of Bethesda, he says, uh, guys, look, if you've got problems with it, you've got problems with God because I can't heal anybody. He said, I do nothing on my own. I do whatever the Father does. And because he loves me, he shows me what he's doing. There's no credit. Blowfish likes to puff itself up and impress other people, and so do we at times, and so do false teachers. False teachers like to blow themselves up and make themselves look impressive to people. I thought it was interesting what Jesus said. He said, you don't receive me because I'm not coming in my name, because I'm representing God, because I'm not, I didn't come through your system, and I, and I didn't take the kinds of disciples that the other the rabbis took. I took the, the dregs of society. I took the tax collectors and sinners and fishermen. I didn't take the best scholars uh, that at age 13 were just incredible, showing great promise. And it was like picking a baseball team. You know, it was like tryouts. Oh, that guy's pretty good. Let's take him. No. I know I'm different than, than those guys. He said, but you'd rather be one of their disciples than to be a disciple of God himself. He said, you, you like to follow men who everybody holds up as being somebody. That's what these guys were. They would puff themselves up. They were puffed up with conceit, which meant that they would blow themselves up to impress others. All right, one other way that these guys, these false teachers were like blowfish. When it blows up, it spews poisonous toxins. And religious, these false teachers were the same way. They were deceived by Satan, and their interpretations of the law were inaccurate, and they were toxic to anybody who would let it in. Their teachings were toxic to anybody that would let it in. 
I love that about the blowfish. <laughs> he does everything he can to stop you from taking them in or scaring you and puffing himself up to make you see him. But then if somebody finds one of these big fish, finally thought, oh, I got him and eats him, then he, he throws out this toxin that kills the big fish. Jesus warned us that the teaching of false teachers was the same thing. He said it would be the same thing. What's the poison that, that Paul tells Timothy about? Look at it again in verse, verses 4b through 5. He says, he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. That's the poison. Paul defines the poison. He says it's an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words. That's what puffs them up. And it's poison, that kind of stuff. These, these uh, things that make people look, if you, if you look at them and you buy into this, then when you look at them and you say, wow, they really know a lot. They're, they're great spiritual leaders. When really all it is is cravings for controversy and quarrels about words. And we've all felt that probably. You've taken a stance at some point about what you believe and somebody has challenged that and you puff up. And, and, you, and you, you want to quarrel, let's fight about it. I got my stance. I got things I can say about it. So let's go. Let's go one-on-one. And our convention has done that too. And churches do it. We, we puff up. And leaders, uh, pastors, we do it. We puff ourselves up and we take our stance. And, and it's, it, we like the controversy. When I started the gathering place, I liked the fact that we were different. And I puffed up because of that. And it's hard to keep the puffiness down. Thankfully, over time, your skin starts to get tight spiritually. That's why I've lost so much weight. Your skin starts to get tight, and you don't want to be puffed up anymore. You don't want to be, present yourself as something that you're not. And you want to only present who, you, who God is. You want God to have his way in your life. These guys were puffing themselves up. So, so the poison, he says, is the controversy and quarrels about words. Well, then, then what's the poison? Or what, what, what's the result of it? What's the sickness? What's the toxin? What does the toxin cause when men are, are teaching in, in order to pump themselves up and to, to fight over words and to have a political position instead of presenting the gospel in its simplicity? He says... These things. It says it produces envy and dissension, which is discord, right? We've felt it. We've seen it. We've taken our sides of, uh, on, on what that causes, this dissension of one political leader standing up this way, calling it God, another one standing up over here, calling it God, and we are in discord with one another. That's what it causes. Toxins when men stand up this way, when false teachers are, are, teaching, are not teaching the gospel. Slander, evil suspicions, constant friction among people. So there's nothing good that comes out of this. And Paul is saying if we don't get control of this, Timothy, I ask you to stay there because you have a call in your life and, and you have the ability to be able to stand and share the gospel in the, in the face of a lot of religious folks who are considered to be leaders who are instead puffing themselves with, up with conceit and spreading this poison, the poison that, that the Pharisees spread, 
and it's causing people to go crazy. They're not, they're not walking and revealing the truth about who God is. Instead, they're revealing the wrong things. And the people that are out here, look at who he describes as the people who are standing. And they're on both sides. But look at, look at the people that he describes here. He says, it's causing this stuff. All this poison is, a, is, have, is producing sickness. And in whom? He says, among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. It's people whose Who's, it's people whose minds are still depraved. So they're either stuck over here in sin and they're holding on to that. And they're deprived of the truth because the false teachers are teaching something that just pushes them further away. The false teachers are pumping themselves up and they're saying, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I would rather go live in sin. This is a lot more fun. And there's nothing about that that's attractive. But there's also people over here who are depraved of mind and deprived of the truth. And all of us in here just about have been there. Because of those leaders, because they pumped themselves up and called it God. Because we, let me put myself in there, pumped ourselves up and called it God. You guys have, been the, have suffered the consequences. And you, though, have seen Jesus and come out. But there are people still out there who are depraved of mind, sitting in religion, in church every day, and the most, some of the most religious folks who are doing this the best are the most depraved of mind and deprived of truth. They still don't know that Christ did it all for them. They still don't know that their sins have been washed away, that though they were, though they were like sheep, gone astray, that uh, God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. They still don't know that, that God, is, through Christ, would cast their sins as far as the east is from the, the west. Would, would throw them into the depths of the sea and throw them behind his back. That God doesn't, God's taking care of our sins. That he, he gives them righteous, the righteousness of Christ. It can be given to them as a free gift. They're still stuck over here trying to please these leaders who are puffing themselves up by the numbers of people they can gather around them to hear what their itching ears want to hear. Now, I know if you heard what I said this morning and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of your life, you're probably thinking, thank God I'm never going to take that poison in. Never. The 12 disciples, the ones that were closest to Jesus, the ones that walked with him every day for three years. He said this to them in Matthew 16. Take your sin. In case you think you would never eat a puffer fish. <laughs> Look at, or take in that type of doctrine. Listen to it. When, Jesus, when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They went immediately to works. Oh, they've been discussing it among themselves, saying we brought no bread. But Jesus, is aware of this, said, oh, you have little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you, do you not remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered or the seven loaves and the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? 
How is it that you fail to understand? I did not speak about bread. Beware, beware of the toxin. The toxic leaven. That, that yeast that will grow, get in you and change everything. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he, did not, he was not telling them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. We have such an incredible opportunity to do ministry in this town. Man, I'm getting more and more convinced of it. That yesterday was a beautiful time where God gave me an audience with over 600 people, I believe, who gathered for one man's, to, to, to honor one man who exemplified the fruit of the Spirit, whose life was a testimony of who we are as a church. Never went to church, or he did when he was growing up. He became a believer in the church, but didn't even understand what that meant until he was 60 years old but he still lived the life. His life exemplified the, the, the person of Christ. So easy to grab testimony off of his life and share the truth about who Jesus was and how he affects a life. When, it, when we allow his, when we can see him for who he is and we, and we understand the truth about who God is and we see and understand that it's different than what we grew up with and we can release with comfort. It's Okay. For us to just release that and just put our faith in God. It's okay. It's all right. There's a good chance that some of what you're holding on to is, is the toxic leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. If any of this message bothers you, it's probably some of that you're holding on to. It's okay to release that. It's a, to, instead of being like those leaders... Be leaders who are going to spend time in the Word, not sluggish, but getting in the Word of God, praying, hearing from God yourself, encountering the Spirit, being in the presence of God, you know, coming to know God by experience in such a way that you have something to tell about God that's more than what you grew up with, that's more than just the, the uh, empty knowledge and the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, that it's a life-changing thing, and that you have stories to tell about how you've encountered God and how personal He is, how loving He is. And watch the world be drawn to him. But study to show yourself approved. Get in the word and ask God to speak through his word. And, and don't just, just don't focus on words. Focus on the man of the word. Man in the word and the presence that surrounds the, presence that surrounds the word. And let's not be about impressing people and telling them uh, how wonderful we are, how much we know, or trying to show off and, and, and let people know that we're, we're tough stuff. And, if, and don't represent this church that way. Don't go out in the community and talk about how wonderful this church is. Go talk about the God that this church serves. Talk about the message that comes straight, straight out of the word of God that's all about Jesus. Talk about that. And then let's don't, let's don't be those kinds of spiritual leaders that are full of conceit either who argue about semantics and are going to spend all of our time wondering, is, is what I'm saying okay? Does it fit what other people believe that I respect? Am I wor- and quit worrying about what people think and just let God teach you. 
and, and understand truth. And dig as deep as you can. And you guys dig real deep, okay? Because you know, it's just it's not a coincidence. We were talking about John and abiding the other day. And we, we talked about a passage in spiritual formation that was also talked about in, in uh, Hebrew and discussed in Hebrew. And some of our students were in both. God's going to put it all together because his presence is going to be there in Hebrew when you're studying in, the, in, in, in the, uh, your exegesis classes. But he's also going to be here talking to somebody by his spirit through a circumstance because the presence of God is here. So don't get mixed up and let that puff you up. Stay away from that. And let's let this community know who God really is. Okay, because there are people who are depraved of mind and deprived of truth that are in the church and that are in the world and they need to know Jesus. Okay, it's, it's very simple. Paul says stay true to one message. Preach the truth. And be consistent with that. When it's popular and when it's not, stay true to what God showed us. We're, we're teaching the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not complicated. All right, let's pray. As we pray this morning, I want to ask you to take the challenge. Uh, to, to tell God today, God, don't let me be a blowfish. You'll know what that means. Wherever you're lacking today in your relationship to the word, hear clearly two things. Number one, don't be a false teacher. Don't be a false teacher. A sluggish blowfish who blows itself up to impress people. And if one happens to take you in, they just get it. They become twice the sons of hell that you are. Don't be a blowfish. Then number two, fall in love with God. Get to know him. If you don't know how to do that, man, look, we, we have life groups that are helping people to understand that because of the testimonies of the people in the group. We have a church full of people who are coming to know God for the first time, and they're coming from a place of deprived, the depraved lives and deprived truths. Father, I pray for our church today. I pray for every person here that you will begin to work in our hearts and our lives and help us to see, God, that though we're a small body, God, there's so much power in what you're doing in in and through this, this small group of believers. We don't care to be big. We don't care to be impressive. Lord, we just want to touch lives and change hearts. We want to lead people to to see Jesus for who he really is. We want, we want souls to sing in this community. Souls that have been dead, God, because they're depraved of mind and deprived of truth. So God, help us to be vibrant testimonies of the beauty of who you are. That people be drawn to you and we'll have a testimony to share. Challenge our hearts this week in places where we haven't been that to become that. And we know that, God, we have no power inside ourselves to do that. But we have the Holy Spirit who can do it through us. Accomplish your will today, God. We worship you this morning.